You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about Grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Good to be with you this morning to open up God's Word. Please open them up to Romans chapter 2. Go find Romans chapter 2 in your Bibles, and please stand with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're going to explore today God's righteous judgment part 2. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5. Today we'll look at verses 6 through 11. Before I read, I just want to uh, remind us, really, God's Word reveals His will and His ways. God's Word says that every word of God is pure. God's word says all scripture is given by inspiration of God to perfect the man of God. And so I just want you to know as we read it, as we we hear it, as we study it, God is speaking to our edification. So hear the word of God, Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, and God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his deeds. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the jew first and also the greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the jew first and also the greek for god shows no partiality And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would teach us, Lord, have your way in our hearts. Open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So last week, as I was introducing this sermon, I said, you know, here we're talking about judgment, everybody's favorite topic, which we know is not everyone's favorite topic, we don't like to hear about judgment, do we? We want to hear about blessing. But if there is blessing, there is also judgment. Psalm 9, verse 7, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. Psalm 96, 13, the Lord will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. It speaks of a final judgment day. 
Revelation chapter 6 speaks of those who will literally call out to the mountains and the rocks and, and ask the mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of wrath to come, they say, who can stand before the wrath of the Lamb? 2 Peter 3, 7 says that by the word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Jude 6 speaks of that day as the great day, the judgment of the great day, the inevitable day when God will judge. 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. So he will judge at his second coming. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 speaks of the Lord Jesus coming in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Revelation 20, John speaks of seeing a great white throne and him who is seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky flees away. And there's no place found for them. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And then another book was opened. The book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There are these books that, that record everything they have done. And the sea gave up the dead in it. All the shipwrecks that happened throughout all the centuries. And, and death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and they were judged. Each one of them according to what they had done. And then if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You have an explicit preview here of things to come. You can't escape it. Matthew 16, 21 says that Jesus will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's a focus on the coming judgment preceding Christ on his throne that all the dead of all the ages will be brought to that throne to be judged by Jesus. That every person will face Christ. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, Hebrews tells us. Final sentencing will happen. A judgment of fire devouring God's enemies. And as Hebrew 10 tells us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And in light of this, we need to know what is necessary to avoid that judgment. What will God's standard of judgment be? What criteria is he going to use? Why does someone get sent to hell forever? Why does someone get to, sent to heaven forever? 
Romans 2 shows us. Paul is presenting his case against the religious moralist at this point. He's answering the unrepentant who think they're good enough, who proudly say, so what if I'm idolatrous and immoral? I can do whatever I want. And they're ignorant of the fact, or, or they're at least ignoring the fact that God rightfully judges anyone who will not repent. Now you got to remember where we're at here. We're in Romans chapter 2 and we're in the midst of the first three chapters of Romans which are designed to shut the whole world up. To stop every mouth. No one can claim they earned their way to God. As Romans says, by the deeds of the law shall no one be justified. And we're in the middle of this section in Romans, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, that pretty much is all bad news. And you get some glimpses of glorious gospel light in the middle of it. We get some of that in the passage today. But for the most part, it's just all bad news. It's the overwhelming evidence of mankind's depravity. We're walking through a dark alley in the book of Romans right now. And the point has been made that immoral pagans and moral religious folks are all condemned in their sins. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, we see three truths relating to God's righteous judgment. We saw two of them last week. First, that man's unrighteous judgment is obvious, verses 1 through 3, and that mankind has 0% excuse for judging others for their sin. Easy to judge others for their sins, isn't it? And, and not uh, confess of ours, not repent of ours. And now, we'll make the, the distinction, though. It's different than discernment. It's different than righteous judgment. Here, when we judge others wrongly, we condemn ourselves. That's what we saw in verses 1 through 3. Now, in verses 4 and 5, we saw that God has given a way of escape. God graciously grants repentance... Verse 5, even though there are hard-hearted people who refuse to repent, even having a false assurance of salvation, they are storing up wrath for themselves like they're collecting like bombs and grenades right at their feet for the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is going to be revealed, it's going to be experienced. But what you see here is that in this way of escape, God has graciously and lovingly given a way of escape, given us time to repent. He didn't zap you the moment you first sinned. He didn't destroy you the moment you first sinned. He mercifully holds back his judgment, which leads some people to say, well, you know what? I didn't get hit by a bolt of lightning. I guess I'm okay. But God shows his saving character. Paul speaks of the riches of his kindness. He got this beautiful gospel glimpse, riches of his kindness. That's his goodness. That's his, his loving kindness and his forbearance. He's patient. And, and, and his kindness, his goodness leads us to repentance. That inner change that leads to Christ-honoring behavior where you daily yield your soul to God. And it brings us to verses 6 through 11. And it's really a, a stark picture of God's righteous judgment. That God is 100% fair and impartial in his judgment. The key verse is verse 6. Look at verse 6. It quite simply says, He will render to each one according to his works. 
Keyword works. Now, anyone hearing this in those days would all have known this. They couldn't sugarcoat it. They knew Job 34.11. According to the work of a man, he will repay him. According to his ways, he will make it befall him. But God impartially judges according to your works, according to your deeds, uh, in truth, and with impartiality. What are we always trying to do? We're always trying to build ourselves up to uh, look more important than we feel that we are. And so we will kind of uh, build ourselves up and say, look what I accomplished. Look what I have done. Look what I know. Look it, I'm a self-made man. And we'll just go on and on and on, kind of trying to stack up these you know, Legos or something to get, get a, a foothold on feeling significant. But what are we really? What are we really? We are dust blowing in the wind. We are unable to escape God's judgment. God is not going to grade you on a curve basis on your good deeds or on your appearance. God knows your heart. You can fool some people, but you can't fool God. His judgment is true and right. And I think when you grasp this idea that God's judgment is true and it is right and it is fair, it's like things make sense in life. It's like tumblers in a lock just falling into place. Imagine if you were a physicist. First thing you're going to ask is, what's the initial condition? And then, what are the assumptions that are, that are attached to this context I'm looking at? Because I need to give an accurate answer. Well, our initial condition is obvious. We're bankrupt before God. We are condemned to hell justly. It's like in Genesis where God saw that um, mankind was desiring only evil continually. And it, he was even sorry he made man. Our true condition is literally like we're, we're stewing in gutter water. It's like we're like we're marinating in gutter water, we're laying in the gutter and we're literally drinking that water in and saying that we're fine. But we're putrid from the inside out. It's like poison getting put drop by drop by drop in a cup. Mankind is destined to die. It's like we have flesh-eating bacteria. Sin is eating away at us. And verse 6 tells us God is going to render. It's an interesting word. It literally means just to give back. Pay back. God is going to render, or give back, pay back, according to our works. It's like Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. So God is going to give back, he's going to um, repay us. This word render is literally, it means to pay a debt, or give whatever is due. God Judges based on deeds, what you do, not just what you say. Matthew 16, 27 says that God will reward every man according to his works. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8 says, each of us will receive our own reward according to our own labor. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due 
for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man sows and he will also reap. And the idea here is that God the judge has an infallible record of your deeds by which you will be judged. Are you getting a little nervous? Are you on the edge of your seat? You're like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 time out. God really knows everything? He saw what I did last night? He knows my thoughts? What are we on, reality TV or something? My whole life's like on video? It's all, it's been rolling the whole, the tape's been rolling the whole time? You shut that off. God knows it all and records it all. And then he gets really specific, verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. He gets very specific. To those, now he's speaking of a specific group of people, to those who by patience, that's patient endurance, that's bearing up under something, that's persevering, those who persevere in doing good, in doing well, they get eternal life. They seek for glory and honor and immortality. They get eternal life. But, look at verse 8, but, now there's another group of people, those who are self-seeking. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that, that we should not um, be self-seeking. We should not engage in that. Uh, self-seeking is an interesting word. It's, it describes a mercenary who does what he does for money regardless of how his actions affect anyone else or hurt anyone else. Selfish ambition. For those who are full of selfish ambition and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there's going to be wrath and fury. So wrath and fury is like anger and rage. And a judgment call is going to be made against you. You're going to be judged by your own supposed righteousness, which the Bible calls filthy rags. And so whoever is self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, get wrath. Now, wrath is an interesting word. We, we think of it as, you know, I'm really angry at you, and so you, I'm going to, like, you know, break out on you. This is not Im the impulsive outburst of anger aimed at people that God doesn't like. This is a fixed, focused, faithful response of a holy and righteous God against sin. Psalm 2, verse 5 says, God will speak to them in his wrath, terrify them in his fury, Verse 12 says, kiss the son, literally uh, obey the son, worship the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Go on to verse 9. It goes on. There will be tribulation and distress. That's pressure. That's anguish. Literally, that's torturing confinement for everyone who does evil. The Jew first. Given first chance to hear and respond to the gospel, they're going to get God's judgment first if they refuse. And they're also going to be that way for the Greek. So equal opportunity here, all people. Wrath and fury, tribulation and distress, it's like getting a million paper cuts and not having any relief. It's like living in poison ivy. First, first thing you uh, realize is that God is, is just here. Isaiah 57 says the wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. Waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, God says, for the wicked. 
But then you get to verse 10. Now, back to the other group. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Jew first and also the Greek. How do you get glory, honor, and peace? Do good. Now, some of you are thinking, this sounds a lot like works righteousness. You know, you've been preaching all these years, Mike, about being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now you've completely lost it. Now you're talking about being justified by works. Now, you know I preach the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, so stay with me on this. Salvation by works? No way. Of course not. Salvation is not of works, Ephesians 2, lest anyone should boast. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read these words, not to us. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory for your mercy. God's not giving glory for salvation to anyone else. He's taking all the glory for saving people. Isaiah 48, God says, I will not give my glory to another. There is no works salvation. In Jeremiah chapter 31, when God is talking about the covenant he will make, he says, I'm going to do the covenant. I'm going to forgive people. I am going to remember their sin no more. I'm going to be merciful. You know, we're not going to do that. God's going to do that. We see in the New Testament, obviously, that Jesus Christ came into the world for one reason, to save sinners. Paul even said, I receive mercy. You can't get saved by your works. He's talking about eternal life here. Well, we think of that as, you know, forever and ever and ever, amen, right? This is not duration we're talking about here. Everyone's going to live forever. Those in hell is going to live forever. Those in heaven is going to live forever. What he's talking about in terms of eternal life, for the ones that are blessed with eternal life, it's the kind of life they get. It's God's going to give them his life. Even like where he, where he says their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Here's what's going to happen. When you come to faith in Christ, here's what God does. By the way, so different than us. Here's what we do. When, when we get upset at someone or they do something wrong to us, we make them pay, don't we? We hold their feet to the fire. We sometimes won't forgive. We'll relate to them on the basis of what they did all the time. Not so with God. God says, no, you come to faith in Christ, I'm going to choose to relate to you on the basis of Christ's shed blood and righteousness. I, I choose not to relate to you on the basis of your sins. Salvation is not by works. But here's what you need to know. Judgment is. Salvation is not by works, but God's judgment is based on works. The scripture teaches salvation is not the basis of works. It's, it's all over the place. But also scripture consistently teaches that God's judgment is on the basis of your deeds. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it talks about the righteous who will eat the fruit of their deeds. And, and the wicked, it says, woe to the wicked, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. And Romans 14, 12 says, each one of us will, will give an account of himself to God. He's speaking to believers. Each one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. And what Paul is doing here is talking about two classifications of people, those who love and obey God and those who do not. Paul is describing the deeds of these two groups. Neither group is sinless. One group repents, the other does not. Neither of the groups have any inherent moral credit on their own in their account. 
the direction of their life is of utmost importance, though. One group is promised eternal life. One is promised wrath. So what he's talking about, quite simply, is believers and unbelievers. The redeemed, verses 7 and 10. The unredeemed, verses 8 and 9. Contrasting believers and unbelievers. Those who are seeking Jesus, those who are seeking sin. Those who are doing good, those who are doing evil. It's like Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. Shall recognize them. So what does it mean? What does it mean for a believer, if you're a believer today, you're saying, I'm a believer in Jesus. What does that mean for you to be judged according to what you've done? Well, here's what it cannot mean. It cannot mean that you're going to get what you deserve or else you're going to hell. None of us will be saved if we're going to get exactly what we deserve. It also doesn't mean that your works, your deeds, need to reach this really high standard before you die. It doesn't mean that the assurance of your salvation is resting even 1% on what you do. You didn't work for it. It rests 100% on Christ's obedience, as Romans 5.19 says, it's based on the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ. But here's what it does mean. God is going to make a judgment call on your behalf. As the shed blood of Christ pleads for you. You will be living the obedience of faith, uh, the perseverance of the saints. You'll be walking in, in, in obedience to God. And, and then you will be, you'll be shown to be a real believer. The deeds of the redeemed are not the basis of their salvation. They are the evidence of their salvation. None of us are perfect. We're all prone to sin. But in, in the life of a true believer, there is undeniable evidence of God at work in that person, conforming them to the image of Christ. Now, we look around, and we might say, well, we don't think that person's a believer. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Only God knows. But here's what we do know. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that, that the Lord knows those who are his. He knows who belongs to him. And then it gives a warning. It gives an exhortation. It says, whoever names the name of the Lord should abstain from wickedness. You should be wanting to live a godly life. You should be wanting to please God. He, he, you love him because he first loved you. And you're able to love other people because he first loved you. And if you look in 1 John where it talks about we love because he first loved us, it, goes, it throws you right into how you treat other people. How you live. As a believer, you're going to be judged by your works. And the last judgment God will show if you are a real believer or not. Now, we all know people that have professed faith in Christ and then basically said, nope, not me anymore. I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe the Bible. I don't, I don't love Jesus. I'm going to go do my own thing. Now, here's what we don't know. Are they just totally deceived or are they truly not a believer? We don't know. God knows. The jury's out on anyone who professes faith in Christ. And the idea is that that God in the last judgment will show if you are really a believer. And it will not do to say, well, I believed in my mind. 
or, well, I said I believed in Jesus. The only evidence will be a changed direction of heart and life uh, that, will, that shows itself in a changed life. Or you'll get condemned as a fraud. We are saved totally by God's grace, but we are judged by our works. True grace always changes your heart, and it's evidenced in your life. Now, I said this last week, you know, God is not condemning shaky discipleship. God is not condemning people that get caught back into certain sins and need to repent. God is not, is, God is not aiming at the tender-hearted believer that is literally struggling through this life, which hopefully is all of us. I don't know if all of you are believers or not, but I would just say this, there, there will be proof of your faith. There will be fruit that shows that there's a root of faith. And this is why when you come to verse 11, it just kind of is the capstone here that make it, it makes perfect sense because God shows no partiality. God's not partial. The word partiality is an interesting word. It literally means to receive a face, to accept a face. It's the idea of giving favor to someone because of their position or their power or their popularity or their looks. Like, I like you because of how you look or what you do for me. The idea of being partial is the idea of accepting a person based on appearance, not on heart. Now, they would have known this full well back in those days. Uh, the custom of greeting in those days. You know, we greet people and we shake hands, we give a high five, we give a fist, fist bump, maybe we even hug, right? Um, back in those days, when you greeted someone, you would literally bow your face to the ground. And if the person you're greeting accepted you, was partial to you, you were allowed to lift your head. And this is how we, we do with people. We, we treat them, we, we, we are partial, we are partial to them because of how they look. What verse 11 tells us is God isn't this way. This is not the way that God judges he is fair and he doesn't play favorites that's how you would put it in today's language god doesn't play favorites everyone is going to get repaid for what they have done no exceptions no no um no mulligans you know no do-overs here um god's going to vindicate his righteousness to god to be god must judge and it's god's nature to be just it's impossible for him to be anything but impartial First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 gives us a hint. It says, written to believers, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your stay on earth, during the time of your exile on earth. Hey, citizens of heaven, if you're, if you're calling God your father, remember that he judges impartially according to everyone's deeds, so you need to conduct yourselves with reverent awe of God as you live. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says that those who, who do not believe will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And all of this is very fair, even if uh, our hearts, which are simultaneously justice-desiring and sin-justifying, even if we struggle with it, 
We always want mercy for ourselves and justice for other people. We also want to justify our own sin but hold someone else to a higher standard because of theirs. And what this passage is pointing out is, you know what, there is a heaven. It's described very clearly in the Bible. If you want to get a great picture, look at Revelation 21. But there's immortality and eternal life, but there is also wrath and eternal punishment, also known as hell. And it's very crucial for us to understand these. And as a believer, if you're a professing believer, good works give credence to your profession of faith. And you can't fake humble. You can't fake being a Christian to God. Yeah, to other people, sure you can, but not before God. We're not judging you. God is. And so Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, helps us understand what has probably become my favorite phrase in Romans, the bookends of Romans, Romans 1.5, Romans 16.26, the obedience of faith. It's what God generates in the life of a true believer. And so what happens is what you believe is proven by what you do, how you live. We need to know the difference it makes. It makes a big difference in our lives. Uh, you know, in light of heaven and hell, I want to give you, in the, in the time left that we have today, I want to give you five exhortations. Well, what kind of difference does Romans 5 make in light of heaven and hell? And the first is this. You need to fear hell, and mostly the one who sends people there. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Those who are without Christ are uh, without God and without hope in the world. What Paul is emphasizing here, and he's, he's really speaking to religious Jews, and he's saying judgment's going to be according to works to remind you that being a Jew doesn't assure you of eternal life and doesn't spare you from God's wrath. Just like if you become a member of a church but you're not saved. God repays everyone according to their deeds and those who practice deeds in keeping with repentance will be shown to be believers and granted eternal life. Those who engage in evil and unrighteousness as a pattern of life and refuse to turn to Christ and be saved will experience God's just wrath. And the idea is this, that God will reward those who do good, that's co-word in this passage for believe in Jesus, and those who do evil, co-word in this passage for those who reject Christ, and the reason is because he's impartial. He's impartial. He judges each person with respect to their deeds. And so you must believe in the Lord Jesus or else you will not be saved. A second exhortation is this. You need to recognize, and this is really an encouragement, the evidence of God's righteous judgment. It's very easy for us to go, oh, the evidence of his righteous judgment are people being judged for their, their evil. Not true. The, the, the evidence of God's righteous judgment is the presence of Christians in the world who are being progressively sanctified. Let me show you. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll start at verse 4. The presence of believers that are being progressively sanctified by God is evidence of his righteous judgment. It says, We boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. The believers are going through hard times and in the afflictions that you're enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay 
with affliction, those who afflict you, and to grant relief to those of you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting judgment on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among those who have believed. The evidence of God's righteous judgment is the testimony of a person who believes. See, in Christ, uh, repenters, believers, obey the truth. Um, for example, you read a, a passage like this, and it makes you shake in your boots. Rightly so. I think we should always hold up the mirror of the word of God to ourselves, not other people. But where in the Bible do you see a picture of, of someone with a tender heart towards God that just wants to be right with God. A great picture is Psalm 51. You want to memorize a great passage of scripture that, that helps you through a passage like this? Memorize Psalm 51. It's the repentant David who only wants God's mercy and only wants to act in ways that pleases God after he has committed horrendous, horrendous sin. It's the idea of wanting to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. You think about all the Bible reading you do. I mean, I've, no bragging, but I've read the Bible a lot of times, and I've read it through a lot of times, but I don't remember the whole Bible. I remember some of the verses. Think of sermon hearing, all the sermons you've heard. You know, I remember a handful of sermons that I've heard through the years. I can't even remember what I preach. You could say to me, well, you preached this, and I'm like, I said that? I don't remember. All I know is that the Bible speaks of it like this. Order upon order, line upon line, a little here and a little there. And this is why um, you need to hear this sermon today. Because God is progressively sanctifying and growing Christians as we seek him by his spirit through his word. It's part of God's sanctification plan for you to hear this sermon today. Because God isn't going to judge you based on what you know. All your Bible knowledge is going to judge you based on what you have done with Jesus and the gospel and the word of God and what fruit there is in your life. And this is all for people who are struggling with sin every day. Every one of us, we, we know. Um, but if, if you want to repent and turn from your sins, if you want freedom from sin, Jesus is your man. If you don't, You only have yourself to deal with, and then one day you will deal with God. If you repent, by the way, um, life isn't going to get easier. It'll probably get tougher because you have to deal with your pride. But I'll tell you what it does. When you repent as a way of life, life gets into proper focus, proper perspective. And don't we have fine-tuned strategies of how to avoid repentance? You know, just convincing ourselves that we're so right and that other person is so wrong. I will say this, I said this yet last week as well, if you're not repenting as a lifestyle with no proof of faith, you, you might not be saved. But if you want to repent, you're probably saved. Because heart change repentance leads to actionable repentance. So if you've hurt someone with your words and your actions, you need to humble yourself before God and themselves, them and make it right. 
you want to repent often. It's proof of your faith. It fosters unity in the body of Christ, and it, it jumpstarts mission. A couple more things, and then we'll close. Third thing I want to say is um, you want to be able to die with hope and assurance without fear. I was with two families this week as they buried their loved ones. The family of Louis Blazingame and the family of Lois Schrock. Um, six months ago today, Jack Elsner went home to Christ. And we grieve for believers and as believers with hope of the resurrection. As Luz was um, in the dying process, she kept saying, I'm ready to see Jesus. This no fear from Jesus, no fear in this love from Jesus. And it fosters our love for him. Where you can die with calm assurance in faith and hope. Number four, just, just learn to love mercy and grace. Learn to love mercy and grace. God is going to give to each according to their works. It's not your works that will save you. You do need to hold the mirror up in your life but you don't need to work, walk around afraid all the time. Just love God's mercy and grace. You know, we're, we're celebrating the Protestant Reformation that began 500 years ago. What God was doing in the church then was he was reclaiming a firm belief in the sovereignty of God and the sufficiency of Scripture where God was mercifully bringing his people back to biblical faith. And this is what he is doing today on an ongoing basis. You know, you look at a passage like this and you're like, I see the reality and the etern eternality of hell here, and I see the reality and eternality of heaven here, and I look around and see people that I know where eternity is looming on the horizon for them, and I wonder, do they know they don't have to carry their sins? That they need to trust in Jesus and rest in Jesus who paid the debt? That if they work for it, they bypass grace? You know, someone said it this way, Jesus paid it some is not how the song goes. Last thing I'll mention, I want you to remember that in Christ, you are loved and you are honored. I know that sounds weird because you're like, well, I'm honored. I just want to, you know, grovel in the, in the dust at the foot of the cross right now. What do you mean I'm honored? Well, it's true. And I think there are a lot of tenderhearted believers that have a struggle, a tough time grasping how much God loves and honors them in Christ. It's very easy to talk about God's love and his honor, but it's harder to experience it because of our issues. I know from experience. Look at verse 7 again. Those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality. That's the person who obeys God, loves Jesus, seeks to do all the good things promised to believers. Just, you just want to live as a believer in your life, and you trust the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. And what does God do? It says he gives glory, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he gives honor. Did you notice that? Honor. The believer's honor. What's the believer's honor? It's all the privileges you have in Christ, all the privileges God grants. Let me give you a few. You get to come to Christ. You get to come to Christ. 1 Peter 2, 4, coming to him as a living stone. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. 
And then you get to be built into the body of Christ, into the house of God. 1 Peter 2.5, we're living stones. We're coming to the living stone as stones. And we're not a rock out in the middle of a field all alone. We're being built up with brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And we need the body of Christ because we are in that building of God that he is building. And then very significantly, we get to offer sacrifices to God directly as priests. First Peter 2 calls us priests. Back in the Old Testament, priests were from the line of Levi, from the lineage, through the lineage of Aaron. And they were chosen by God to pray for the people and offer sacrifices for their sins. And anyone who would try to do the job of a priest without, without being a priest was judged very severely by God. Well, the Bible tells us that we are priests. We have direct, continual access to God through Christ. We have been chosen by him. We've been purified by the shed blood of Christ, set apart, cleansed to serve God. If you're a Christian, that is your identity. And so you get to pray. You can pray, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can, as Romans 12, 1 says, in, uh, surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And then it says he gives us peace. We were hopeless without Christ. We had no peace. The, the New Testament tells us Jesus himself is our peace. Think about when your soul is downcast. What do you do? My soul was downcast yesterday. What did I do? I went to Psalm 42, 11. I went to Psalm 43, 5, and here's the psalmist actually saying, not once, not twice, but like three or four times, saying to himself, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. I will yet praise him. You gotta remember, uh, call to mind. It's, it's like Lamentations 3. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. They're new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. He is faithful. You are loved in Christ. You are beloved of God. You are accepted in Christ. You are being transformed. You've been justified. You're being sanctified. You're forgiven. You're cared for. You're kept safe. God is growing you in Christ. He is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. So the winds and the waves of life come crashing down on you. And it's so easy, isn't it, to sink just like Peter and get our eyes off of Jesus. But know that God who calls you is faithful and he will bring his work to completion. I want you to keep this in mind as we keep traveling a dark stretch of road in Romans, okay? It'll give you perspective. We're in a dark alley in Romans, but you're also gonna be in many dark stretches in life. And just remember, Jesus lights your way. Deep valleys are not without uh, their glimpses of glory. This passage proves it to us. Here today we get to see what unbelievers will get and the glorious goodness that God has in store for believers that makes us marvel at his mercy and his grace and his great love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you first loved us Thank you, Lord, that you rightly judge those who will not repent. Lord, please help us to not engage in unrighteous judgment. Lord, help us to keep seeing your way of escape and that a way of repentance, a life of repentance is what you want for us. And thank you, Lord, that your judgment is 100% right 
and 100% your righteous call. And we just want to press on to know you, depending upon you uh, with all our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.